My friends, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. NBC Radio, 1932. But more particularly with the overwhelming majority of you who use banks for the making of deposits and the drawing of checks. The new president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, is speaking to the nation on a cold Sunday evening in March. I recognize that the many proclamations from state capitals and from Washington, the legislation, the treasury regulations, and so forth. He will do this frequently. It comforted the huddled masses as they gathered under a blanket near a lamp or even a fireplace. These fireside chats were just the balm needed during these trying times. The president assured 60 million radio listeners nightly that everything will be just fine. I shall continue to have your cooperation as fully as I have had your sympathy and your help during the past week. The details of the New Deal could be negotiated later, but for now FDR was to be the great comforter. If this New Deal worked, fine. If not, he was more than willing to start over with a new New Deal. He surrounded himself with competent advisors, his brain trust, and delegated authority with discretion and confidence. As a master of the radio, his confidence, even if it was scripted, was contagious among the American populace. They couldn't get enough of it. FDR, America's first podcaster, was healing the nation one broadcast at a time. Welcome to another episode of Print the Legend, an AP U.S. history podcast where we look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. I'm your host, Mr. Nasosi, and in this episode, The New Deal, we look at Roosevelt's plan for fixing this economic mess in America called the Great Depression. On deeper examination, FDR really had no single grand strategy to fix the Depression. He was a bold experimenter of many different programs. Did it work? Social scientists and historians are still debating that issue today. Two days after taking the oath of office, 48 hours from taking that oath, Roosevelt declared a bank holiday. From March 6 to March 10th, banking transactions were immediately suspended across the nation except for making change. During this period, Roosevelt presented the new Congress with the Emergency Banking Act. The law empowered the president, through the Treasury Department, to reopen banks that were considered solvent and assist those that were not. The House allowed only 40 minutes of debate before passing this law unanimously, and the Senate soon followed with equally overwhelming support. So long, sad times, so long, bad times, we are rid of you at last. That June, Roosevelt signed the Glass-Steagall Banking Reform Act, This law created the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Perhaps you've seen this sticker on the windows of a drive-thru at the bank, FDIC. Under this new system, 
Depositors in member banks were given the security of knowing that if their bank were to collapse, the federal government would refund their losses. Deposits up to $2,500, a figure that would rise through the years, were henceforth 100% safe. The act also restricted banks from recklessly speculating depositors' money in the stock market. In 1934, only 61 banks failed. That's a sharp contrast from the 4,500 banks that failed four years before. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Unlike Herbert Hoover, who refused to offer direct assistance to individuals, Roosevelt knew that the nation's unemployed could only last for so long. Like his banking legislation, aid would be immediate. In fact, Roosevelt adopted a strategy known as priming the pump. In fact, to start a dry pump, a farmer often has to pour a little into the pump to generate a heavy flow. And likewise, Roosevelt believed the national government could jumpstart a dry economy by pouring in a little federal money. The first such initiative began in March of 1933 called the Civilian Conservation Corps. And this program was aimed at over 2 million unemployed, unmarried men between the ages of 17 and 25. CCC participants left their homes and lived in camps at the countryside in a military-style discipline. From sunrise to sunset, these men built reservoirs and bridges and cut fire lanes through the forest. They planted trees and dug ponds and cleared lands for camping at a simple wage of $30 a month. In the larger cities where the concentration of population is greatest, slum clearance projects have been undertaken. In some areas, new modern housing developments will be erected, providing better living conditions for workers in the low-income groups. In other Adding to the, the what seems endless alphabet soup of the New Deal, there are plenty of other opportunities for the unemployed through the Civil Works Administration. The CWA tutored the illiterate. They built parks and repaired schools constructed athletic fields and community swimming pools. Some were even paid to rake leaves. About 3,000 artists and writers were on the payroll as well. There were plenty of jobs to be done, and while many scoffed at the make-work nature of the tasks assigned, it provided vital relief during these trying times. that if the Senate and the House of Representatives in this long and arduous session had done nothing more than pass this security bill, Social Security Act, the session would be regarded as historic for all time. But aside from the immediate relief programs offered in the New Deal, pensions for the retired or the notion of Social Security was not always the domain of the federal government until now. Individuals were expected to save a little of each paycheck for the day when they would at last retire. Those who were aggressive enough to negotiate a pension plan with an employer were few indeed. The majority of working Americans, however, lived paycheck to paycheck with little or nothing extra to be saved for the future. Many became a drag on the rest of the family upon retirement. So in 1935, the Social Security Act aimed to improve this predicament. 
Many nations in Europe had already experimented with pension plans. Britain and Germany, for instance, found exceptional success. The American plan was a bit different in its design. Social Security was described as a contract between generations. Here's how it works. The current generation of workers would pay into a fund while the retirees would take in a monthly stipend. Upon reaching the age of 65 at the time, individuals would start receiving payments based on the amount that they contributed over the years. Employees would have 1% of their incomes automatically deducted from their paychecks, a rate that was originally envisioned to reach 3%. Employers would also contribute to their employees. The plan, not voluntary, it was mandatory except for individuals at exempted professions. Roosevelt knew that this reform would be permanent. He guessed that once workers had paid into a system for decades, they would expect to receive their checks. That still happens today. To do so, he created the famous alphabetical agencies of the New Deal. Their purpose? To fight the Depression, to provide work and security. If there seems to be no end to the alphabet soup that is the New Deal, well, you're right. Even the most astute historians have a difficult time memorizing all of the acronyms within the New Deal. But some of the big players worth noting include the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, they were created to serve as a watchdog on the stock market, and you'll find their jacket still walking the floors of the New York Stock Exchange today. The Federal Housing Authority, FHA, is still providing low-interest loans for new home construction. And even the National Youth Administration, the NYA, is providing college students with work-study jobs, and some have said is the precursor to the Montgomery GI Bill after World War II. Critics, of course, bemoaned the huge cost and rising national debt of spoon-feeding Americans. But regardless, many of the programs found in FDR's alphabet soup still exist today. But it is important to note that FDR was a president. He was not a king. His goals were ambitious and extensive. And while he had many supporters... His enemies were equally in number. Liberals and radicals attacked from the left for not providing enough relief and for maintaining the fundamental aspects of capitalism, while conservatives claimed his policies were socialism in disguise and that an interfering activist government was destroying a proud history of self-reliance. One major threat to FDR came from Father Charles Coughlin, a radio priest from Detroit. And so, Mr. Roosevelt, who was very loquacious in 1933 about driving the money changers out of the temple, is now bent upon another policy. I think driving the workmen out of decent annual wages. Originally a supporter of the New Deal, Coughlin turned against Roosevelt when he refused to nationalize the banking system and provide for the free coinage of silver. Another reformer who felt the New Deal had not gone far enough was Francis Townsend, a doctor from Long Beach, California. Townsend proposed the old age revolving pension, and this plan called for every American over the age of 60 to retire to open up jobs for the younger employed. The retirees would receive a monthly check for $200 a, was a considerable income. 
during the Great Depression, but there was one catch. The recipients had to agree to spend the entire sum within a month. Townsend argued that this plan would ignite the economy as well as provide for a proper pension for those who had worked so hard for so long. According to the tables which we have assembled, it is our estimate that 4% of the American people own 85% of the wealth of America. The person considered the greatest threat to Roosevelt politically was Huey the Kingfish Long of Louisiana. The only way you'll ever be able to feed the balance of the people is to make that man come back and bring back some of that grub he ain't got no business with. Long was a rollicking country lawyer who became governor of Louisiana in 1928, and as governor, Long used strong-arm tactics to intimidate the legislature into providing roads and bridges to the poorest parts of his state. He emerged onto the national scene with his election to the United States Senate in 1930, and in 34, he started a movement called the Share Our Wealth Campaign with the motto, Every Man a King. Long proposed, get this, a 100% tax on personal fortunes exceeding a million dollars. The elderly would receive pensions and the poorest Americans were promised an estate worth no less than $5,000 with a $2,500 yearly minimum income guaranteed. Democrats worried that a long bid for the presidency might steal votes from FDR in 1936, but an assassin's bullet ended the Kingfish's life in 1935. What is my proposal? It is simply this. Whenever a judge or justice of any federal court has reached the age of 70 and does not avail himself of the opportunity to retire on a pension, a new member shall be appointed by the president then in office for all of Roosevelt's greatness in the New Deal, there were some scandals that plagued his presidency. And despite his re-election landslide in 36, Roosevelt's mainstream opponents gained steam in the latter part of the decade. Frustrated by a conservative Supreme Court overturning New Deal initiatives, FDR hatched a court-packing scheme. He proposed that when a federal judge reached the age of 70 and a half and failed to retire, the president could add an additional justice to the bench. This thinly veiled scheme would immediately enable him to appoint six judges to the high court. However comprehensive the New Deal seemed, it failed to achieve its main goal, ending the Depression. In 1939, the unemployment rate was still 19% and conservatives chided that the U.S. government was now more bloated than ever. Just 44,000 workers prior to the Great Depression. Now in 1936, there are over 600,000. They complained that Roosevelt more than doubled the national debt in two short terms, a good deal of which had been lost through what they say was waste. Liberals pointed out that the gap between the rich and poor was barely dented by the end of a decade. Franklin Delano Roosevelt can't seem to catch a break.
But historians will argue that FDR and the New Deal did help America muddle through the dark times strong enough to allow the president to tackle the even two greater tasks that lie before him, Japan and Germany. Coming up next time on Print the Legend, a podcast for AP U.S. history students where we look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. Sunday morning, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Japanese planes are spotted on the horizon. Up until then, storm clouds were darkening around the world. While Americans struggled to make ends meet during the Great Depression, fascism swept Italy and Germany. Elsewhere, militarists consolidated their hold on the Japanese government. Soon fears of fascist domination were realized as nations fell, hapless victims to new aggressive leaders. Remembering the scars caused by World War I, Americans hoped against hope to remain aloof from the increasingly dangerous world. World War II, a three-part series next time. I'm Mr. Nasosi, and I thank you for taking time out of your day to join me for this moment of learning. I'll see you right back here next time.